Um, we're in a bit of an in-betweeny type stage, if you like. So next week, Justin Larkham's coming. Last week, we are at the marathon. The time before that, we finished 20 questions. I know I said initially we were going to do 21 questions, but I changed my mind. So we've done 20. Um, so we do, this morning, I thought it would be helpful, actually, as we're into our second year. Last week, we had our first birthday party, which was brilliant. Um, and we're into year two. And I just thought it would be good, actually, to kind of reiterate the vision a little bit for Redeemer King to uh, probably update it slightly. Um, this isn't going to be kind of all-consuming. It's not the overall vision. But just something that God's spoken to me particularly over the last couple of weeks um, and kind of my heart for the church over the, the next year, if you like. There was a vicious rumor that I think Gaz accidentally started on social media this week that suggested that the uh, vision for last year was to grow a beard. So if you're a man, it was to have a beard. And apparently this year, it's to have guns. Now, not weapons, but, you know, big muscles. Um, so I think if you've got a beard and massive biceps, you're well on the way. Healthy living is really important, so I'm not going to confirm or deny that those things are important. And having a beard, I think, is just embracing your masculinity. So again, that's, I've got an amen there. That's brilliant. So again, that's biblical. So you can't really argue with me on that. Uh, you can try, but you'll fail. But in all seriousness, those things, I mean, they're good fun. But the, what the heartbeat of the church is, that's what I want to talk about this morning as we go into our second year. If you think about how far we've come in one year, those that were at the party will have seen a few clips of when we were in the little room where the kids work. And it was kind of like, it took me back and I went, oh, I can't believe we were in that room. But if you just think about all that's changed in this last year, Redeemer Kids was launched properly for the first three months of Redeemer King's existence. The kids were in with us for the whole service, running around crawling around, screaming around. It was chaos. It was brilliant, but it was chaos. That's only been going for like six or seven months that that change has been in place. Connect didn't exist. Connect groups didn't exist. There's all sorts of things that have come into play in the last year. We had our first baptism services where people were baptized. People came to faith. The worship group has grown and developed. We've taught the book of Acts. We've taught 20 questions. If you think about it, for one year, it seems like we've achieved quite a lot. And you could go, oh, brilliant. We can kind of just chill out now and just cruise into the future nice and steady. But actually, what I'm going to say tomorrow, we'll just transform that because we're not going to just settle. We're going to go bigger and bolder and better than the first year in our second. The church has grown from the first Sunday, both, I believe, numerically, but also spiritually. And that's the important part, almost, that those who are coming along are meeting with Jesus. That's what we're about. We want you to encounter him, encounter his spirit, and be transformed as you do. You know, at the party last Saturday, we've got four people out, out at the front, and they just shared their story. And it was four lives that, where they just said, well, I've met God this year, and it's just completely changed my life. That is what we're about. If, you know, I'm not going to have, we've not got massively fancy vision statements and massively fancy, you know, do this, do that, do that on the website. There's nothing like that. We, our heart is, man and Carl's and the leaderships is that you just meet with Jesus. And it's actually as you meet with him that he would transform you and make you more like him. So I want to hear more stories like those we heard on Saturday in the year two. And, um, you know, we do have the kind of faith, hope, life thing. And that, I suppose, is what we want to be, a community that is full of faith. A bold faith that is, is bigger than ever before. We have hope because we know Jesus and we know what's coming. And we point to the hope we have in Jesus. We point beyond ourselves. And we have life. And I don't mean that in a, oh, everybody's got life. As in, we have spiritual new life. It's exciting. It changes us. We're, we're to have life and life to the full, Jesus says. 
It's not to be stagnant and as it was before. So I don't want us to settle. In many ways, that would be the easy thing to do, to say, oh, well, we've come so far, we've done so much, it's brilliant. But God has massive plans, I believe, for this community of people, massive plans for the world, if you like. And I'm not ashamed to say that why can't we be a church that resources the nations? Why can't we be a church that has an impact that goes beyond Chesterfield, that impacts our nation, that impacts the world? You see, I would rather have a massive vision and have a go than to have a really small vision. So that's what I want to say this morning is we're going to have a big vision and we'll have a go. We'll do our best. And I think that's better than having it the other way around. I've got a huge vision to see many thousands and thousands and thousands of lives transformed as they meet with Jesus, don't you? That's got to be the end game, that we want to see thousands of people meet with him. I want us to thrive, if you like, not just survive, not just go through the motions of being a church and doing the things, but to thrive, to see God's spirit fall and do absolutely incredible things. Last Saturday night, if you were with us, Carl briefly shared about Nehemiah and the story of Nehemiah, one of the shortest guys in the Bible, Nehemiah. He, um, yeah, I've got to get that in. He, um, he was sent by God to oversee the building or the rebuilding of the wall in Jerusalem, which might seem a bit odd, but if you go through Bible history, it's quite significant. Jerusalem's like the center of Israel and their walls being down is just a disaster. So he went and he rebuilt the walls And they prayed and they fasted uh, and then they cracked on and it was a a case of all hands on deck. And in 52 days, these people managed to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, which is amazing if you think about it. In just 52 days, they managed to do all that. The job was done and it was a miracle of uh, lots of prayer, but actually people putting their hands to it and people getting on. You know, you had, um, they had to fight, they had to defend. You can almost picture like the guy who was the baker fighting with a sword to protect, or it even says actually the perfume maker was their building. It wasn't just skilled tradesmen that were rebuilding the wall. They were all doing it together, and that meant that they did it in 52 days. And we're not rebuilding a wall, are we? Um, We're not going to build a wall around Chesterfield to protect it from Yorkshire. We're not going to do anything like that, but I would rather the church be known as we are in the business of rebuilding lives that we see lives built upon Jesus Christ, that lives that are broken, lives that are torn down, as they meet with Jesus, they start to rebuild their lives upon something sure. And we can do that. We're constantly doing that, aren't we? If you're a Christian here today, we should constantly, our lives should be being changed and being built upon something else. It shouldn't be the same as it was last year. And the only reason that that wall was built in Jerusalem, it wasn't that they were particularly good at building It was because God graced it. It was because God gave them the strength. God protected them. And that's exactly the same for us going forward is we want God's strength, God's protection to do it. Matthew 16 says this, I tell you that you're Peter. He's talking to Peter Jesus. He says, on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And um, I love that verse and a lot of people get confused and think Peter's like the... Just, you know, Peter's the, the one that the church is built upon. But Jesus here says, I will build my church. He doesn't say, I will build Peter's church. Peter happens to be one who sparks it, but Jesus says, I will build my church. This is not Dan's church, it's not Carl's church, it's not Joe's church, it's not Laura's church, it's Jesus' church. And that, that is the kind of foundation of what we're doing and where we're going. And we can play our part in preventing the gates of hell overcoming it. Jesus says, the gates of hell will never overcome my church. 
And you know what? I don't just want to settle for that. I want to push back the gates of hell. I want to push back the darkness that more people that are lost in darkness will walk in is marvelous light. Don't we want that? So that's the kind of brief thing. But what does it mean for us as a church? And I've got three things that I believe if you're part of a community, there's three things that kind of help us as we go forward. The first one is in church, everyone needs somebody to know. Everyone needs something to do. And everybody needs someone to become. And I think if we kind of, over this next year, we remember these things, we carry on with those things, then I think we'll do quite well. I want to read from, if you've got a Bible, I'm going to read from Romans 12. I'm just going to read a passage of scripture. I'm not going to necessarily comment on it uh, too much. Um, But everybody needs someone to know. And this is from Romans 12. I'm going to read from verse 3. And um, it says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, to the one who encourages in his encouragement, to one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And then he says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And then he quotes some scripture from the Old Testament as well. And he finishes with, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And um. That passage in Romans 12, I think, is of particular importance for us with this kind of idea of everybody in church needs somebody to know, everybody needs something to do, and everyone needs someone to become, and hopefully you'll kind of see that as we track through it. People aren't looking necessarily for just a friendly church. You know, people um, say all the time, oh, we should church friendly. And I think being friendly is one thing, and obviously I encourage you to be smiley and happy and friendly, but people aren't looking for a friendly church. People want to make friends. They don't just want friendliness on a Sunday. They don't just want niceties. They want to make lasting friendships. And that's why church is not something that we just go to, but it's a family that we belong to. And the sooner we get that notion that church isn't just something that we turn up to on a Sunday, but it's what we belong to as a family, which means 24-7, all the time, we're belonging to the church, we'll start to see some changes in how we view church as well. And everybody needs someone to know because in one sense we're all searching for relationship, aren't we? We're all searching for meaning and often we get that through other people. But ultimately, our relationship, we're searching for relationship with God. Why do we come to church? Well, we, well, why do we gather on a Sunday as well as in the week? Because we want to sit under the word of God. Because we want to hear what God has to say. Because we want to invest in our relationship with him. And the church is about the kind of horizontal relationship that we have with each other and the vertical relationship that we have with God. It's never just one or the other, it's both. And that's why 
you know, people that say, oh, I don't really go to church. I kind of have alarm bells going off in the back of my head because it's both a vertical and a horizontal. We need each other, but more than that, we need God. So I just want to kind of look at that briefly from Romans 12. If you, if you read Romans as a book, which is a bit complicated, but to summarize, the first 11 chapters are all about how we can be justified is what the language that Paul uses, which basically means how we can be made right with God. So he goes through Jews, he goes through Gentiles, and he, it's a bit complex in places, especially 9 through 11. But to sum it all up, he says, this is how you can be right with God. And if you read in chapter 1, it says... Um, it talks about how all can, all can be saved, all can have faith, um, all can have this relationship restored, but there's a problem. And as you progress through Romans, you see it, that Paul says no one is righteous. There's not a single person upon this planet who is right with God of their own strength, of their own doing. There isn't a single one, not even the, the best people that we might come across, not a single one is right with God. All fall short of the glory of God. But despite that, he then says, there was one who came who was completely right, who was right with God the Father for all of time, and his name is Jesus. And then he goes to great lengths to say, if you trust in Jesus, if you have faith in Jesus, you can go from not being righteous to becoming righteous. You can go from being far off from God to being made right with God. And he says this in chapter 5, therefore, since we've been made right, justified through faith, we have peace with God through Jesus through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So in other words, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, even though we're far off from God, if we put our faith in him, we can be at peace with God. And it's because of what Jesus has done. This wrong relationship between us and the creator of everything is made right because Jesus lays down his life for us upon the cross. So I want to remind us, if we need reminding, that primarily that is what the church is for. That is what we exist to do, to tell that story, that people would hear the good news of Jesus, that they're far off, but if they trust in him, they can be brought near. That's what we exist for. That's what everything is about. If we take that from a church, you know what we end up with? Just a social club. And you know, I don't want to oversee that. I don't want to be involved in that. I'll be out the door quicker than you can say my name. We exist that we glorify God, that the good news is at the heart of everything we've done, this model of death and resurrection. We have to die and we have to take up a new life in Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what drives at the heart of everything that we do. And it has to. It has to because otherwise we're left with nothing but just a few mates, which is okay, I suppose. But it doesn't compare to what's going to happen forever. We need to be... Uh, what needs to be important is what is of eternal significance. You know, and, and that's important because whatever our background is, wherever we've come from, whatever we've done, whether we've had a rough week or a good week, if we trust in Jesus and we ask for forgiveness, if we repent of our sin, it's rendered irrelevant. All of our mistakes is rendered irrelevant. It's wiped clean. It's not like God keeps a record of it. Whatever we've done for all of time is just covered in the blood of Jesus. And it's gone. We're set free from fear, set free from shame, set free from all those mistakes that we wish we'd never done or the things that we wish we'd done and we never did. They're rendered irrelevant by God. So we can, in one sense, render them irrelevant too. We can live new lives, not laid down with guilt and fear. And we can find forgiveness for all things. And the thing to kind of come back to is, and, we, and this forgiveness that we ask of Jesus is not just a uh, you know, sometimes we think, oh, it's just a one-time thing. The good news of Jesus is just something at the beginning of our life. 
The good news of Jesus is something that goes on with us for the whole of our life. So in other words, we're kind of asking for forgiveness. We're asking for God. We're repenting. We're turning around. We're trusting in Jesus every single day. We do it once and we're in. Our name is in the book of life, but that doesn't mean we don't do it again. Yes, we're secure. Yes, we're saved. Yes, we're made right, but we make mistakes, don't we? Or maybe I do. Maybe you guys are all much more saintly than I am. But we keep turning around. We keep putting our trust in Jesus. And we follow him. We have the greatest life that we could possibly have because that's what we were made for. We were made not just to survive and go through the motions, but we were created to thrive in relationship with God. And that's what has to be the very heartbeat of the church. And it says this in Romans 12, 4. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You know, the vertical here is that we're all so different, isn't it? You know, where else in the world will you find such a varied group of people coming together on a common cause? You don't find it. It's not anywhere else where old and young mix where different uh, social classes mix and, and, and age and sex and uh, sexuality and all these different things are rendered in Christ irrelevant. That the most important thing is faith in Christ. That if we come in repentance, if we come in, uh, we're asking for forgiveness, then what we've done in the past, where we've come from, who we are, how old we are, it doesn't matter. And so you have this collection of people that are made one because it's into one family that we are brought. And in Acts it says there's only one way to be saved. And that's at the name of Jesus. And so we're only brought into one family. There's only one name that can save us. So there's only one family of believers. Both this church and every other church across the globe. And over the years to come, I hope and I pray that we see lives transformed and lives changed. And people brought into that family as they meet with Jesus. And the horizontal here is that we are a family, which means if you're a Christian, then I'm your brother. That's bad news, isn't it? You know, we're kind of related. Um, you know, that's, that's great. You look around and you go, oh, I'd love to be related to him. Him, not so much. But that's, that's the beauty of the church. We have different gifts. We have different abilities. We have different personalities. But we belong to one another. And that's why I said at the start, it's really important that we belong to a church. It's an expression of who we are. Because church is a family. And you know, people that say, oh, I'm not, you know, I've not settled at a church. I just urge you to settle at one, whether it's here or, other, or somewhere else. I don't mind, really. I mean, we'd love to have you here, but if you want to go somewhere else, great. But it's about being committed to a family. Because that's what it is. It's not something we go to, but it's somewhere that we belong at. And, you know, we are, we are the plan, if you like. There is no plan B. You know, they said there's always a plan B. There is no plan B. There is just the church. That is the plan A. That was God's plan somehow to use you and to use me. <laughs> that's the plan. That's all that there is. And so if that's all that there is, we've got to work together, haven't we? And this is what it says in verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Now that doesn't mean being an Eeyore. Oh, I've got to view myself with sober judgment. So that means I'm rubbish. That's not sober. That's just being depressing. That's just being an Eeyore. That's not what Paul is saying at all. He's saying, don't be down on your skills and abilities, but don't be too hot on them either. Be realistic about who you are and what 
God has done. And you know, the best way of being realistic about our skills and abilities is to build other people up. It's to encourage other people's gifts and other people's abilities. And in, as Paul says, put others before ourselves. Humility, I like to think of it as it's, not, it's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's not being an Eeyore, but it's thinking of yourself less. It's putting other people before you. Caring for other people. Putting other people's concerns and other people's timetables and other people's priorities ahead of your own. And that's what a family does, isn't it? I'm just starting very briefly to get to grips with this, that I am going to be a taxi for the next 18 years. Ferry and small and then older children around. You know, I do it now, it's like ballet. I mean, I don't do that one yet, but like swimming and there's going to be all these different things. And I have to drive them around. And I don't really want to be doing that, I'll be honest. <laughs> I'd rather be doing other things. But it's kind of, a, that's what a family does and you put yourself, you put others before yourself. And it's the same with the church. If everybody puts another person before themselves, you get catered for too. Have you thought about that? Because somebody else is putting you before them. Now, that's not a, a good reason to do it, and you do it even if somebody hasn't put yourself before them. But that's the way we should be living our lives, is to put other people before ourselves. And that's the, the horizontal, really, and that's what I want us to do as a church, to have that culture of we're generous with one another, with doing things for one another. Even if it doesn't fit our skill set or our personality, we'll still do it. We'll still believe the best and we'll still go out of our way to help one another. Why? Because that's what a family should do. Why? Because Jesus went massively out of his way so that he could rescue us. Massively out of his way. <laughs> he left heaven to come to earth, to die upon a cross, to give us new life. So the least we can do is operate grace and love towards one another. So that's the first thing. We all need someone to know. We don't just want to be friendly. We want to make friends. We want to, so can I encourage you that if there are faces that you don't necessarily know too well in this room, we've been together a year now, let's start to get to know them a little better. Talk to people we don't know, that can be the challenge for the next month. Talk to a stranger so that you don't have to operate stranger danger policy anymore. Make that stranger a friend. So that's the first thing to do is we all need someone to know. Secondly, we need, uh, everyone needs something to do. Paul uses this metaphor in Romans 12, he uses it in 1 Corinthians 12 as well, where he talks about the church as a body. So um, he talks about, uh, just as my body has got lots of different parts, legs that don't work, and arms, and a head, and all these kind of things, he says the church is the same, and we all need one another in order to operate and work as we should. This is from verse 4, just as each of us has one body with many members... And these members do not all have the same function, as in my foot doesn't do the same thing as my hand. So in Christ, we, all form, uh, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to the other. And we have different gifts according to the grace that is given to us. So the opportunity here is for every single one of us to operate our gifting or our abilities and serve it's the opportunity to be who we were created to be. And I can tell you that as we go into our second year, there is loads and loads and loads that needs doing. Why? Because uh, there's so much to do, I don't want anyone to perish. There will always be loads to do. There will always be more to do. Because there's, there's people out there that don't know Jesus. So there's always going to be lots and lots and lots that we can do. And so... The question that kind of goes in my mind, I don't know if this is the right thing, because Paul uses it as a metaphor, is like, ah, oh, I wonder what part of the body I am. 
you know, I'm either lips or the tongue, you know, the annoying thing that just gets in the way and just carries on talking. What am I? And, you know, you might be sat there thinking, oh, what can I be? Which part of the body am I? You know, just hope I'm not the appendix. Because if I'm the appendix, all I do is a blow up and I hurt people. <laughs> we don't want any appendixes. So if you're an appendix, doors are. But, you know, you don't want to be the appendix or the intestine or anything else. I won't go there. But we don't want to go down that region, really. Um, but we all have something to do. And we all have a function and a role to play. And the point is, people need to meet Jesus. And because people need to meet Jesus, we all have different roles and functions and gifts and abilities. We all have different contacts and ways that we can point people towards him. You know, if Nehemiah, in that story, it just wouldn't have worked if it was just a few of them. You know, Nehemiah himself wasn't a builder. Ezra wasn't a builder, but they're building. They're cracking. Ezra was a priest. We can kind of see him, like, badly laying mortar and badly putting a brick on there and doing his best. Because that's what they were doing. They were just mucking in. They had to defend. They had to have people who, you know, had a, it's like me standing on the wall with a sword. I wanted to do with a sword. I'd be useless in a sword fight. But the fact is, those that needed to defend, defended. It wasn't just that they operated their gifts. And sometimes we use that, don't we, as a bit of a cop-out. We say, well, we go into Eeyore mode again. We need to be anti-Eeyore in this church. We go into Eeyore mode and we go, oh, I'm just not gifted. I can't do that. Well, in this case, it doesn't matter. I'm not sure there is a gift for heavy lifting. I may be wrong. Someone correct me. But I'm not sure that that is kind of a spiritual gifting. Oh, I've got the gift of being able to lift incredibly heavy things. And I'm really good at it. I think that's something that most of us can probably do. Just as in this case, I'm not saying that building isn't a skill because DIY and all that is just incredible. But in this case, you know, putting a brick on a wall... Everybody could do that. Picking up a sword and looking intimidating, even if they're not, everybody could do it. Everybody could muck in and try. And that's what we have to do. The scribes mucked in. The priests mucked in. And you know what the result was? They built the wall. God blessed it, and they saw amazing things. Basically, as Carl says, there's this incredibly theologically complex word that we need to do, and it's called stuff. There is lots of stuff for us to do to uh, the end of people knowing Jesus. And we can't just limit it to, oh, I've got this gift, and so I only do this one thing and I don't do anything else. We can all contribute in lots of different ways. And, you know, I loved, I loved the marathon last week. Not just because somehow I managed to run a half marathon. I was, I was, I'm impressed with myself, actually, like, and my body. I'll tell you what was amazing. I ran with John Wood, which was great. And we got to, like, mile three or three and a half, and we're on the bypass. And uh, I just said, oh, my knees, because I've got massively bad knees. And um, my knees started twinging, and John was like, oh, we should pray. So we just prayed on the bypass. And from that point on, I had no pain in my knee for the rest of the run. That's amazing, isn't it? Which meant I could, and I did, a, I did a little run on Thursday night. I ran 3.4 miles, and my leg gave way. But it didn't happen on Marathon Sunday, which is remarkable. It's great. God was very kind to me last Sunday. But the point is I love the marathon, not just because I was running it and doing a bit of exercise, but because somehow in our Western Christianity model of church, we expect people to come to us on a Sunday. We expect that Joe Bloggs down at the pub, Jeff, on a Saturday night, is somehow for no reason at all going to wind up at church on Sunday morning. It ain't happening. And what was wonderful was we as the church went to them. It was fantastic. We had a presence in the park. Thousands of people would have seen the name Redeemer King and gone, what are you? Are you solicitors? 
which I think happens, something like that. Are you involved in a law firm? Oh, no, not quite yet. Well, we're a church. Let me tell you about it. Fantastic. You know, fantastic that there were 25 people from the church that stewarded for seven hours. And, you know, the people in the marathon, okay, not everybody will have known that they were Redeemer King stewards, but the people that organized the marathon will do. And we don't know what these seeds that we're sowing are going to make a difference in the future. What would we have done if we just stayed here? Nobody would have known. It wouldn't have made a, you know, we'd have had a good time, I'm sure. But it was fantastic for the church, the people of God, to go to where people are at. And um, we'll be waiting an awful long time of why. So we've got we've to kind of realize that something to do, we can all participate. And a lot of it is actually just being Christ-like wherever we are. At home, at work, at the school gate. It's not simply about, oh, I've got a gift to lead worship, or I've got a gift to be able to speak, or I've got a gift of accountancy. Those things are all incredibly important, and I'm blown away that we have those within the church. But it's more than that. But to say that, actually, if you do have a gift, look at what it says here. We all have different gifts according to the grace given to us. You know, if you get given a gift, this happens a lot at Christmas, doesn't it? You know, your grandma gives you something, and you're like, okay, I'll give that to somebody else. Um, if you have a gift and you're not using it, or you do what I do, give it to somebody else, um, it's just a bit rude, isn't it? I've just admitted to that. Um, I've only done it once. Um, but it's almost a bit of an injustice, if you like. Um, you know, we have our gifts that are given to us from God to serve him, and to not use them, well, it's kind of a bit dishonoring, really, isn't it? You know, if you've got the gift of prophesy, we're going to be a church that we actually hear and engage with prophecy biblically. If you speak in tongues, then speak in tongues because it's a gift from God. If you interpret, then interpret. Don't be shy. <laughs> Let us know so we don't have a chicken and an egg situation. If you want to know what I mean, talk to me afterwards. But if you're an encourager, then please encourage. Encourage people. Get alongside people. If you teach, teach. This is what he says. If you're mercy, do it cheerfully. And don't say you don't have any gifts because we all have a gifting. And we can all crack on. This isn't the day for apathy. This is not the day for apathy anymore. And I know maybe we're feeling tired. Maybe we've, we've had a year and we've come so far. But this is not the day to take our foot off the pedal. This is the day to push it in harder. This is because there's still people out there. There's a whole town to impact. There's a, there's, there's a world to impact with the good news of Jesus. And actually, to not use our gifts is just a bit dishonoring to him. You know, at Christmas, if you've got a gift and you, you don't ever use it, who remembers mini discs? Anybody? Yes! Okay, it's kind of telling my age a little bit. Of my, but I got a mini disc for Christmas one year. And I think that same year, about six months later, the iPod came out. <laughs> and the mini disc format was just rendered completely irrelevant. By the fact that not many of you have heard of mini disc makes my point. It was, this kind of, it was just awful. It was like a hybrid of a tape before MP3s came out. And it was just rubbish. It took like 20 minutes to get anything onto the actual disc itself and then I had a Sony one you think Sony would be good but it was just naff and I got this mini display which is a dead format played with it for about five minutes well actually it was more like 20 because I was trying to get the music on it and then just gave up and I found it um, when we moved house actually buried at the bottom of this box all dusty and just completely useless and I could probably sell it on eBay as a kind of a novelty item for a few quid but the fact that there was death to my mini disc, the fact that I didn't use this Christmas present, this gift that was given to me, I didn't exercise the gift, not only expresses my dissatisfaction in the gift, 
but it expresses my dissatisfaction in the giver as well. And if we've been given gifts from God, we have to use them. Because to not use them actually shows our dissatisfaction in the one that's given them to us. We are all unique. There are some of you, like DIY for example, I wish, I really wish I could do it. I really wish that I would have been able to do that without causing a complete and utter catastrophe. And that was, that was just raising the thingy. I'd have gone for the wrong twizzly thing and it would have just been a disaster. My brain doesn't work that way. But some of you, you're just masters. You can just build and create things. It's unbelievable. If you can build and create things, then do it and do it well. You know, whatever our gifting is, if we're, if we're incredible prayers, then pray. Be intercessors for the church. Be intercessors for your friends and your family. Pray on their behalf. Because there is so much to do and we have to crack on. I want to tell you, there is enough at this church going forward for everybody to have something to do. For everybody to be involved in some capacity. And the final thing that I want to just say is that we all want someone to become. That's what the world's looking for, isn't it? We all want someone to become, whether you look at professional footballers and you wish you could become them, or you look at female models and you wish that was your body, or from a female perspective, obviously. (laughs) Just to clarify. (laughs) That's a bit awkward, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, That's what happens when I go off notes. Um, Off tangent slightly. Anyway, um, we all want to be somebody. That's what the kind of, that's the world model. You know, we want to better ourselves. We want to be known. You know, somewhere deep down in all of us, there's that sinfulness that says, I want to be famous. I want people to love me. Well, for a Christian, it's a little bit different. And if we want someone to become, if we want to be an inspiration to people, we do that by being like Jesus. Less like Dan Gower and more like Jesus Christ. That's how I'm an inspiration. And that's the same with what Paul said. He says, you know, imitate me. He didn't just stop there. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that's the important bit. If he'd just left it at the first, at the first bit, then we'd have, we'd have been going after being like football players and being like the superstars. But actually, we'll be like Jesus. And I believe that if as Christians we get the small things right. Now, these are actually huge things, but in life they may feel like small things. Loving one another blessing one another, being kind to one another, showing hospitality to one another. If we do those small things, I believe it will have a huge impact. Not, on, not only on our town, but beyond that too. You know, the impact it can have on our neighbors or our streets. If we're generous, if when someone's having a go at us, we're calm and we're kind and we're gracious, they have, uh, you know, we don't know and we can't track how much of an impact that these things will have. Look at how Paul applies Christian living in this passage. He's talked about the church as a body. He's talked about using your giftings. He's listed a load of giftings. And then he lists, this therefore is how you should live. And I'm not sure, I'm I'm not going to make much comment on these verses at all actually. I'm not going to go through every verse and say, this means this and this means that. Because a lot of it, it can just speak for itself. But this is the challenge. If you want to be, we all want to be someone. This, is, this will be great. It's, as a church, this is who, what we could be like. Because this is what Jesus was like. This is what Christ was like. So if you want some inspiration, if you want to you know, you go to the next level, if you like, you want to be inspired and inspire others, then we're not the hero, but Jesus is. And it's less of us 
and more of him. And we can actually follow the greatest somebody there's ever been. This is what it says. This is how we should live. You want to inspire. You want to attain to something over this next year. Go back to Romans 12. Reread this passage. Pray about it. Ask God to make you more like what I'm about to read. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal. Never stop being enthusiastic and energetic. But keep your spiritual fervor. Keep spiritually desiring the spiritual things. Keep hungry for God the Holy Spirit. Serve the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with people as they rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Don't repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, but leave for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, don't smack him around the chops. It doesn't say that. It says feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is a lot of small things. You do all those small things, it adds up to a massive difference. We start loving one another. We start honoring people. We start being gracious and kind and rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn. It's going to make a massive difference because people will see Christ within us. People will see God's life within us. So what I want to say is as we go into this second year is, I want you to connect at the church. I want you to feel a part of the family, to belong, to invest in knowing God in that vertical relationship, but invest in one another horizontally, get to know people. Become, we're a family. It's not just something that we turn up to. And we can all take part. Don't be Eeyore because you're not. You're better than that. I want some Tiggers. Some bouncing around. He's a bit crazy, Tigger, isn't he? I can't think of the other ones. We don't want Winnie the Poohs either, but... You know what I'm trying to say? We don't want Eeyores. We want people that, you've got a gifting, so use it. Use what God has blessed you with to bless other people. Not for your own fame, but for God's. So that we can make a difference in our town. So that we can make a difference in our nation. So that we can make a difference to the world. And we can live inspirational lives. We can. We can be the best that we can be. If it's less of me and more of Jesus, if it's less of you and more of him, that's the best that it can be for us today. So that's what we kind of want to look for as we're going forward a little bit, because we want to display Jesus to a watching world, don't we? And all of us can do that at home, at work, on Sundays, on Saturdays. Every day that ends in the word day, we can do that. It's not about coming, but it's about being family. Why don't I pray? And then I think we'll, um, I won't just go straight into communion, if that's all right. Um, But let's just pray together. Uh, Father, we just thank you that um, we're brought into a family. 
that we can, um, we're not alone anymore. Not alone because first we have you, but then we have one another. And we thank you for the blessing that that is. But we acknowledge that sometimes that's a bit tricky because families are tricky. So God, we pray that we'd be people that uh, put others before ourselves, that um, aren't conceited, but people that love, people that honor, people that bless. God, would you make changes by your spirit in our hearts? Would you change the small things so that the result is a huge difference? And God, we want to pray for um, people that are upon our heart. There'll be people that, as I'm speaking now, that draw into your mind that don't know you. And God, we're, we're desperate uh, for them to meet with you. But the plan is the church. The plan is us. <laughs> so God, we pray you'd start with us. That you'd help us to display Jesus to them. Help us to be godly in our character. Help us to be full of zeal and fervor and spiritual energy for you. Jesus, remind us of your mission and what we're here to do. That none would perish. And people would uh, join us on this amazing adventure of following after Jesus all the days of our life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.